Hey everyone, welcome back to The Coop with Meyer Hatchery, where we talk all things poultry in hopes of educating chicken keepers and inspiring future flock owners. I'm Amanda. And I'm Jeff. And today we begin a three-part series we are calling Meat Shortages, Now What? Save $5 on your next Meyer Hatchery purchase by using the coupon code THECOOP2022 at checkout. I don't know about you, but I've been noticing some changes at my local grocery store. Every time I go past the meat section, the shelves seem to be getting emptier and emptier. And when I look at the prices, I almost have a heart attack. They just keep rising. What are you seeing, Jeff? Same here where I'm at. What was 60 cents for eggs, the cheap junk at the store is now three where I'm at. And the cost of burger, I won't even go there. It just hurts to look at. It sure does. <laughs> so how do we solve this problem? I know I have freezers full of meat, but once that runs out, I need a game plan. I'm a proactive planner. So let's talk about how we can solve this problem as well as others. One option is purchasing and raising your own meat birds. Now, if you're new to this, um, YouTube doesn't cover it all. Uh, it doesn't show it quite how it actually is. And so we recommend that you find somebody local who can help you uh, either by going and watching them do it or see if there's a class you can take locally or online. Um, and you're talking about like the processing aspect of raising meat birds, right. right? I mean, raising a bird is raising a bird. I mean, when you put them in the brooder, it doesn't matter if they're meat chickens or regular, you know, Rhode Island Reds. There's, whole lot, there's not a whole lot of difference other than the fact that the broilers eat like crazy. And so you got to watch out for that. Also, if you're not into processing or raising your own meat, research your local farmers. Raising meat for your family may not be your cup of tea, but you can reap the benefits of locally grown fresh meat by supporting your local farmers. And you can find them by going to your local farmer's market. Uh, see if anybody there is selling them, or if you don't see anybody there, ask around. And some farmers of the are great people, they love to help. And some yeah, of the advantages of supporting the farmers or going to the farmer's markets or joining a CSA is you're supporting that specific local farm. The food is fresh and it's interactive. You get a chance to meet your neighbors and you form a personal relationship with the person growing your food. Now, in the beginning, we said this is a three-part series. And why did we say three parts? Well, that's because Amanda had the opportunity to interview three different homesteaders, farmers, each with their own perspectives and levels of experience. And so you get a, a variety of experiences to learn from. And we hope that these interviews will give you the information you need to come up with a plan for you that will not only secure your own food, but maybe help others that are in your area. For those of you interested in what it may look like when participating in your local farmer's market, get comfy and listen close because I had the pleasure of chatting all about the pros and cons 
with Marie from Rusty Plow Farms. Marie joins me from Marysville, Ohio, where her family farm features free range eggs, pastured poultry, fruits, and vegetables. Although they are not certified organic by government standards, all of the products used in their farming are OMRI certified for organic production. Hey, Marie, thank you so much for joining me today here on the Coop podcast. You are just a wealth of knowledge, and I'm so excited to dive in and hear about your experience in raising meat chickens and also your experience being involved with your local farmer's markets. Thanks, Amanda, for having me today. I'm so excited to get to talk to you all about meat birds today. Can't think of a better subject. It's all about meat birds. (laughs) Absolutely. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into raising chickens, not only for your family, but eventually, you know, at this point, you're raising them for your community. We are. Um, Well, my name is Marie Nichols and my husband, Chris, and I uh, own uh, Rusty Plot Farms in Marysville, Ohio, which is just um, about 30 miles northwest of Columbus, Ohio. And we've been here for 12 years, along with our two daughters who are now young adults. And um, we started in 2010 when we moved here, um, just started out raising Cornish Cross broilers. We got our first batch um, that fall after we moved in and raised them and thought, wow, they're a lot different than raising layer chicks for sure. I'm not sure I'm going to do this again. They're kind of messy and it's a lot of work. And then we tasted that first chicken that we raised ourselves. I cooked for dinner and my husband took one bite and he looked at me and he says, oh, you're totally doing this again. (laughs) So then we were hooked. And so then in 2010, we started raising meat birds just for our family. We started with a batch of like 15 birds, I think. Um, and raise them out. And then from then it just kind of every year got a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. So that's, that's how we very first started out what 12 years ago now. So, wow. Well, you got to start somewhere, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Jump in. Now, when you started offering your processed chicken for sale, did you have to become certified in order to do that? Who did you have to reach out to, to find out what the regulations were for your state and your location? So I spent a lot of time researching online to find out what the process was um, for selling chickens to the public um, from our farm or uh, taking them to farmer's markets. And we we already had been selling vegetables um, and eggs at the farmer's market. So then we started researching, well, do we want to break into the, to taking the meat birds to farmer's market also? And so my first um, point of contact, I reached out to my local health department. And so they gave me some guidelines there uh, and and what they needed to see and for us to do in order to take them to the farmer's market. And I'll I'll say right now that every local um, county health department would probably have a different set of regulations. And I actually found within my county's health department Um, even from person to person who I talked to, there were slightly different interpretations. So you'll want to work really closely with your local health department. And then they also then referred me to also the next step, the next level up for the proper procedures to sell off the farm would be with Ohio Department of Agriculture in my state. So you would, whatever state, um, if you're um, listening and interested in selling birds, not at your farm, off your farm, 
take them to a farmer's market, a retail store that's not on your farm, things like that, you'll want to talk to your state's um, agri agriculture department and possibly even like your, um, and definitely your county's health department too would be involved. And then maybe even um, there might be another state level association that you would need to talk to. So you just start with your local health department and they usually know the next steps for you, so. That's good to know. Yeah. So before you can even get them to the point where you can sell them, you have to raise them. And right. I know everybody does it a little bit differently. What does it look like on your farm? How do you raise your meat birds out? So we raise, um, we are very, very small compared to a lot of other growers out there um, who are providing meat birds. And I, I will, um, at this point, um, I want to make sure that we, we did take them to a farmer's market um, one year and decided that the processing involved with that at the end of having the meat birds processed, you have to take them to a state certified or even um, a USDA certified processor. And the cost involved with that was not um, profitable for us to continue to sell them off the farm. And so we actually have now taken a step back and we only sell them direct to the consumer on our farms. And in Ohio, um, you're allowed to sell up to a thousand birds a year, um, selling them and processing on your farm. So we're well, well under that. So that's how we no longer take them to the farmer's market. We just do them um, here at the farm. So I do, I raise three to four batches of chicks, of meat, of course, cross meat chicks each season. Um, I usually get between 30 and 40 in a batch. Um, that's a pretty small batch when you're talking, I'm selling them to the community. Um, but it's, uh, I do all the processing myself. Um, my husband doesn't even want to help me do that. And our kids are grown and gone. So uh, it's just me. And that's how many birds I can handle in a day to process them. So 30 is about my max now. So doing it all by myself. So um, we raise them, they're in a brooder for two to three weeks. Um, for 30 birds, I have those little chicks in a, a six by six square foot special room that we've modified to be a permanent brooding space for them. And we use the Ohio hover brooders to brood our chicks. And so that works really well for us. It's an insulated room with, um, with their, their hover brooder heat source. And by the time they're three, the, they're three weeks old, the Cornish crosses can go outside and then we um, raise them from there in uh, portable chicken tractors. You've probably seen our plans online for those that we sell at my hatchery. So, and I'll make um, sure I link those below in the show notes so that everybody has access to those. So we don't forget that they are really great, easy to follow plans. We personally built one of them and use them on my property and absolutely love them. Great. Awesome. Yeah. We just, my husband designed that, um, because I needed something I could move by myself because like I mentioned, he has very little to do with anything poultry related on our farm. It's all me. So um, I'm not young anymore and I'm a woman. So it needed to be lightweight and I needed to be able to move it by myself. So that's why we designed that, that those tractors um, fit our farm really well. And they're designed so I can move them by myself and manage the birds all by myself. So so I will take that um, batch of 30 to 40 chicks and I usually split them between two of those chicken tractors. So I'm running two tractors at a time with anywhere from 15 to 20 birds um, in each tractor. And that's about the right amount of space for Cornish crosses in those tractors. And then um, in, we take them to about seven and a half, eight weeks 
Um, we move those tractors daily onto fresh grass. So they're digging and scratching and chasing the grasshoppers, which is fun to watch a Cornish cross do. They don't quite do it like the like the layers do. They won't run across the yard and grab something, but they'll sure you know happen upon it, and there it is. And hey, that was that was fun. So it's kind of fun to watch them. Special yeah. treat. Yeah. Now, when the first year you did Cornish, did you also raise them in tractors, or did that come a little bit later? No, right right out of the gate, we knew that we wanted to at least give them some time out there on the on the grass and some fresh air and. Um, for those who have already raised Cornish crosses, um, you know how messy they can be. So we definitely, manure management is a, is a real thing with those meat birds. They grow so fast and there's a lot of waste coming out the back end on them. So we did, um, we did go right into the tractors. And in our area, we have a pretty high predator threat, um, nighttime and daytime aerial predators. So we felt like doing them behind like some electric fence or something like that in a truly open grazing pasture race kind of um, setup was not going to end well for the birds and for our bottom line on the profit and loss statement of how the meat birds are going. So in order to have some birds at the end, we decided to keep them a little more secure in these, in these tractors. So it does help them. Um, we've kind of, along the years kind of added to and figured out how the, the better plan are. And now we're going with some skirting around the bottoms because we've in last year and year before that had some digging predator issues. So we do put some fencing skirts around the bottom of them now. So um, yeah, they're, so they're, they're, they're secure, they're secure, but not that secure. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're not only protecting the birds, but you're, you're protecting your investment because it is a big investment, not only financially, but time-wise mm -hmm. when you went from not raising meat birds to raising meat birds, how much more time did that take? Like, does it take, did it like add a lot more time to your daily chore regimen? So, uh, it takes me probably time-wise, it takes me about 20 minutes to move both of the tractors so with the fence skirting that we've added, it, it adds a few more extra minutes, but I can move both of the tractors with the chicks in them once they're on the grass in about 20 minutes. And that's 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening. I like to move mine twice a day so that they're on fresh grass a little more often than not. Um, uh, it, it'll add another five to 10 minutes if I need to fill their five gallon waterers, the waterers that we use um, in our chicken tractors are um, hooked, it's a five gallon bucket that's plumbed with a, um, a hose fitting on the base of it. And then we have a short length of garden hose that is connected to PVC pipe that has those um, Coupa watering cups that Meyer Hatchery sells online that we've got um, plumbed in for our broilers. And they really, really um, like and quickly learn to use those watering cups. I really like those. Yeah. And I, I actually did the same kind of setup on my tractor as I hooked it up to a five gallon bucket. And that was a huge time saver for me personally, because it hydrated them for longer. So it was less time for me having to go out to the field to fill those waterers. I could fill it once a day, twice a day, instead of every couple of hours when the temps rose really high. So that was really a great way to make my time efficient. Now, I know you're no longer selling at the local farmer's markets, but if we could take a step back into like a 
and a glimpse at when you were selling at the farmer's market, that experience were, what did that process look like? Did you process chickens? And then a few days later, have them packaged, ready to go for the farmer's market. Did you have them pre-frozen? Like, did you have to travel with ice chests or a refrigerator? What did that look like? So our health department wanted us to sell them frozen at the farmer's market. So we would take, we would have them processed and then we have two chest freezers um, in our place here that we would store them. And then every, our farmer's market is on Saturday morning. So every Saturday morning, then we would load up the, the farm market vehicle with all the vegetables and everything else that we were selling. And then, yeah, two chest freezers full of um, birds and we only sold them as whole frozen. We didn't part them out. You couldn't buy breasts or legs or such. They were whole birds. And so they were And at the farmer's market. We also um, take eggs to the farmer's market. So we already had um, a commercial, a small commercial freeze or refrigerator that we needed to take to for the eggs. And so our local health department was totally fine with us bringing fro the frozen whole chickens and just having them in the egg fridge also. And in a three hour market, they weren't thawing out. And so they were totally fine with that. So, but again, if for those of you out there listening who would be interested in taking your local chick, your chicken to the farmer's market, you will want to contact your county health department. Now, I guess one of the big questions people might have is cost. We all know that it's not cheap to raise your own good quality meat. And in turn, when you go to sell it, you're going to want to make a profit. So you're going to have to price it a little higher to make up some of that cost. Are you finding that people are willing to pay that higher cost? Or are you seeing like an uptick in people wanting to spend a little bit more on quality meat? Oh boy, that's a great question. And it is a hard one to really put all the pieces together to figure out where we price our chickens at that they'll sell and be a little bit profitable if it can be. I will be honest with all of you. Um, it is for our farm, probably a break even proposition to raise meat birds. We do it first and foremost to feed our family. Um, even if we didn't sell a single bird, we would still do it because the quality is that much better and we feel we just don't even enjoy eating chicken anywhere else besides, you know, what we've raised. The, the, the quality and the taste really is that different that we don't, we would still do it even if it, even if it was not profitable for us. And it, like I said, it's probably a break even. Um, as far as, yes, I would say the majority of the people that investigated our product as far as the meat birds were concerned when they saw the price tag, I would say more than half of them were turned off by it because there is time. I, we, I probably don't get paid for the time involved. Number one, we didn't even, when we were figuring out our price points, we didn't even pay, pay me for my time. We didn't consider that. We considered the cost of the chick, the cost of the electricity to raise it in the brooder, the cost of the feed, um, the cost of some of the equipment, we didn't even figure out cost of the tractors because it was honestly stuff we had laying around already that we built them from. We already had the lumber. We already had the siding left over from other projects. We did probably buy the hardware cloth to screen them in, but 
so it um, it is a break even at best for our farm, um, but that's okay because it's a really quality meat. Um, and the customers that we have acquired tend to be those who kind of share the value and they want something different. They've realized the taste is superior to what the grocery stores offer. And I will say that we've had some people who were um, curious, they bought one bird to try it, and then they came back the next season and bought 10, you know? And so those are the customers that it's like, they tried one, they, it, they, they tasted it for themselves, and then they, then they were hooked. And so it only takes a few of those people, and then you've, you've got yourself a little business. Right. And I know a lot of us are noticing the, the empty shelves in the meat shelves at the supermarkets, the local grocery stores. You're just not seeing the variety available that you saw a few years ago. Are you seeing more and more people coming in for that reason specifically, or is it just your word of mouth is just spreading? You know what? It is kind of scary seeing those shelves, isn't it? I've got to sit around here too. (laughs) It's a little bit, even though I have the capability and the knowledge to raise my own, it's a little disconcerting to walk by that chicken shelf and you go, wow, really? Um, So we are seeing an increase. Probably our, our purchasers of the meat birds is about the same but I'm starting to notice something different. And that's people who are interested in learning the knowledge that I've acquired. They want me to teach them how to do their own meat birds. And so that's what I'm seeing. It's not just a, let me buy your product. I want you to teach me how, to, how you do what you do. So that's what I'm seeing as far as what's different out there, as far as the store shelves being empty and people realizing that it's fine to go buy it and it may be good to go buy it, but it's also good to have the knowledge. Yeah, it definitely lights a fire. I know personally on our farm, we said, we're just going to keep it simple this year. We're only going to raise one batch. But every time I see the grocery store shelves, I'm thinking, gosh, I probably shouldn't just go small this year. I should probably secure some more meat for my family and raise a few more batches And I think it's eye-opening for most people. Like if I can't get my meat at the grocery store, what am I going to do? So the next step would be figure out how to raise it myself or figure out how to source it in other ways by utilizing the local farmer or going to your local farmer's market. Definitely an eye-opening situation. It totally is. I suspect our farmer's market in my town doesn't start for another three weeks. We start at the third Saturday in May. And so I suspect at that point when our customers start coming back around to the farmer's market, I'm, I'm expecting that I'm going to see a lot more interest uh, come around at that time when we're actually back out in the community selling our vegetables at the farmer's market again. Right now, it's just a little bit too early. I'm only an email in people's inboxes and an occasional post on social media right now. But when they're actually face-to-face here in another three weeks, I'm expecting I'm gonna have our sales on our meat birds is gonna jump back up again. So my next question was gonna be like, what are some of the benefits of utilizing the farmer's market to sell your poultry. I know you're no longer doing that. That wasn't like the best fit for your operation, but just hearing you talk, I think one of the benefits is just having that face-to-face contact with people in your community 
being a face to the farm and an educational resource, like, Hey, this is the goods that I offer. This is what we do in our operation. And that sparks more questions and interest. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it is true. I didn't think it was true when we started farmer's markets. I thought, well, they're just going to buy the lettuce because it looks yummy. They're just going to buy the carrots because it looks good. Or they're just going to buy the chicken because it looks like what it is and the price and they, and they don't mind the price point. Um, but, but we, we came to realize we've been doing farmer's markets. Now this will be our seventh season. And when they buy our product, they're buying, they're buying us is what they're, they're buying the experience, the, 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 the relationship and the knowledge that it's raised the way they want it to be raised, whether it's a zucchini or a chicken or the eggs or the lettuce, you know, they, they love the fact that it came from five miles from where they're standing at that point in time. And that I knew those chicks from the day I picked them up at the hatchery until the day they, I processed them. So, you know, people love that and they, they bought into us and not just, it's not just a chicken and it's not just a meal. It's um, connecting with community. And that's the part that I love. Now you mentioned that you're just an email in an inbox and a Facebook post. Is that how you do most of your marketing as far as when you go to sell your meat? Absolutely. I don't really spend too much time. If any of you follow me on social media, you know, there, especially as right now, farming season is getting underway. Everything's starting to grow. We've got to get the crops planted. And so time on social media gets real limited right now. So um, yeah, it's, it's uh, our website. uh, And I also use um, email marketing uh, with a, with an email list that I'll send out. Um, and I like it because I can sort it. And those who have previously bought meat birds from us get first dibs and I'll send to them first and say, Hey, online ordering is opening. So, you know, now's the time to reserve yours. Um, the first batch that I already, like I said earlier, the chicks are about a week and a half old. That batch is already sold out and they'll be done in mid June. And so we're already into midsummer with availability on the on the chickens, but we do a small, we do small batches. So they sell up pretty quickly. Um, and it's all, like I said, it's all I can handle. I don't want to get any bigger as far as the meat birds goes. So yeah, so marketing is pretty much just uh, social media, email, word of mouth. We've got some people who um, will refer friends occasionally, but I'm finding it's kind of one of those uh, double-edged swords, they don't want to say it too loudly because we do sell out. So they're like, well, I don't really want to tell my friends because then mine won't be available. Right. <laughs> so I have, I have uh, experienced that a little bit. They're like, you love your chickens. I would tell people, but then I won't get any. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't want to give away my secret. Right. <laughs> now you said your first batch is already sold out. It can be risky business. Do you plan for, um, random illness, predator attacks? Like we're dealing with live animals. We can't always assume hundred percent of them are going to make it to processing. That's just the reality. Do you compensate for that? Yes, we do. We don't sell. So like I said, I got, I think I have 31 chicks out there because I got my free extra that has survived so far. So um, we, even though 31 chicks are still out there, I'm, I'm, 
I've done this long enough to know that this very rarely does 31 make it to the very end. So we consider about 60% sold out. So when I when I've got orders for about um, 18 or 20 of those from that batch, I consider that one sold out. And I can always come day of processing if they look great and I have more available, all I have to do is say the word on social media and I'll have them sold. And if you, any of you have ever processed your own, you know that even during processing the plucker, sometimes the temperature of the water skull gets a little too hot and will tear the skin. And we call those quote unquote family birds. My family <laughs> rarely eats the perfect birds. <laughs> so, yeah, we get the yeah. leftovers, the ones yeah. that are not pretty. <laughs> a little, a, a broken wing, a torn skin. Those are, we mark them with a big F on their shrink wrap bags. Those are family birds. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing goes to waste. There's always a use for those. <laughs> right. Now, I think it's super fun and inspirational talking to strong women, especially in agriculture. I love that you're, you're basically a one woman show with some family support on the side. I mean, you do it all, raise them from start to finish. You do the processing, you do the marketing. It's pretty awesome. So what's one thing that you have learned in raising poultry, processing, selling that you were not expecting to learn? We have a lot more predators in Ohio than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, the predator threat is probably the biggest thing that I have dealt with, with me birds and with our laying flocks over the years. It's like, man, everything eats chicken. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everything. We can't blame them though. I, mean, I know. It's good I know. stuff. <laughs> but, oh, it's, it's maddening, isn't it? And it's usually I, when, when we have predator attacks, it's, I'm mad at myself more than anything, because I knew that there was an issue that I could have probably prevented it. If I had just secured that a little bit better or had been a little, you know, reinforced the spot a little bit better. And my husband, he's my builder. So he's the one who's, I'm like, no, that wheel is a little too high. It's going to let a gap in. Like there's a gap there. You don't know. And he's like, nothing's going to get in there. And I'm like, something will get in there. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) So um, I would say that has um, uh, in the last several years been um, the issue that's been the most frustrating for us. And then weather broilers, Cornish cross, especially don't handle our cold wet springs very well. So each spring we keep delaying our first batch arrival about a week. So we used to get them in early April. Now we're getting them in mid April. And we, we tried to, we wanted to hit that Memorial Day weekend for the first batch, but we've just come to the realization that Cornish crosses don't like it outside in May. <laughs> so in the tractors where I, cause it'll here in Ohio, it'll drop and it'll be, well, today it's late April. And when we're recording this and it's a balmy 37 degrees here. <laughs> and we had eighties just last weekend. Last weekend <laughs> I know. So Ohio weather can be very fickle in the spring. And so we've learned just delay it a little bit. The Cornish crosses just are not happy out there um, in in May because of the the weather still hasn't settled in. Now, June, July, August, into September, 
September, September and October are beautiful for raising the Cornish crosses in Ohio. It's warm and dry, but not too warm. The nights are cooler. They do great in the fall. Those are great points to remember when thinking about wanting to raise your own meat birds. Consider your location, consider your weather, consider your predators, do some research. Maybe you haven't seen some of the predators that are lurking. I know, I know a few people that set up game cameras on their property just to see what comes out at night because we don't necessarily see them and we assume they're not there. So good things to think about. Well, thank you so much, Marie, for joining me today. It has been a pleasure. I have enjoyed talking with you about meat birds so much today. I really enjoyed it. And with that, we thank you for listening to The Coop. Be sure to subscribe. And if you'd be so kind, drop us a review. Have a poultry-related question or topic you'd like us to cover? We want to hear from you. Send us an email to podcast at meyerhatchery.com. <laughs>